Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. The Cavaliers victorious for the first time this preseason. All it took was a team that's not actually in the NBA, stocked with guys you A, have either never heard of, or B, played in the NBA momentarily. The biggest name out there, perhaps, our former NBA end-of-the-bench guy last year, Mamadi Diakite, suiting up for Maccabi Ranana, who also had Dwayne Bacon, who has uh, Bruno Caboclo, two years away from being two years away from being two years away. But we came out victorious thanks to a juggernaut of great small forward, well, you know, projected small forward play. Let's waste no time. Let's get into this. Welcome to Fear the Fro. Shot blocked by Mobley. Holy Mobley. Donovan Mitchell is eight for eight from downtown. Darius Garland. Hit it from Euclid. Lobdale pow. Oh, that was gorgeous. A Cleveland Cavalier podcast. What do we need to add? What do we need to give coach? The game has come down to space and opportunity. We addressed that. Hosted by the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, his name is Bob Schmidt. Bob, Bob Schmidt. Schmidt. Spectacular talent. That guy is a legend. Got at the buzzer! Here we are with our first victory of preseason. One and two. And two losses to NBA teams and one win against a make-believe team. Well, I guess technically they're not make-believe. Their defense was largely make-believe as the Cavaliers cooked tonight. Thanks to Dean Wade. Thanks to Imani Bates. Karis LeVert. Ty Jerome got theirs at will. At one point, we were shooting 60-52-90. Now, we finished the game... Over 50% from the floor, 43% from deep with another 43-point attempt game. Third one in a row of 43-point attempts. Tonight, we make 17 of them, including four from Amani Bates, three from Karis Levert, three for four for Dean Wade, all of which came in the second half and all of which came during a personal 11-0 run by Dean Wade. The first half, by all accounts, quiet. Finished the game, though, near the top of the, the leaderboard in both points and leading the way in rebounds. 13 points, 8 rebounds. That on the heels of his performance last game where he knocked down 4 triples, scored 14 points, had 6 rebounds. He is getting hotter and hotter as the preseason continues. And somewhere... Zach Lowe, fresh off the heels of his podcast last weekend, Friday, whenever it was, with Chris Fedor, is watching those Dean Wade highlights with a full erection. Crank down. Crank it down. And this is such an optimal outcome for the Cavaliers because, and I spoke last game about how Dean Wade is essentially kind of a handcuff to George Yang whether he's in the active rotation or not. I'd like to walk that back. I might need to say that Dean is a handcuff to Yang and Amani's a handcuff to Dean or human caterpillar. Dean's in the middle. Amani's on the back. He's the one eating up all the shit right now. But he could move up later on. However, as it sits, Yang's at the front of the caterpillar. Dean's in the middle and Amani's in the poop slot. But even that needs to be revised because George or not, you have to find a way to get Dean on the floor based on these last two games. Now, I'm not suggesting that his minutes come at the expense of George Yang. I'm suggesting they come at the expense of Damian Jones. And it's not as if Jones even had a promised role in the regular season rotation here. But my point is, is there anyone who doesn't think Wade has taken his minutes outside of all but the worst possible matchups with giant big men? And yes, there'll be times when we don't need him. 
I have full confidence that Wade can guard threes, can guard fours, and even can cover you briefly for just moments at a time at the five position. Now, I know you may be thinking, what about Struess and Yang? We're going to run them as the small ball four. Well, by all means, go ahead and do it. I'm talking about defensive assignments. If you've got a particularly shitty power forward and you want to hide a Struess or a Yang on him, by all means, go for it. But if you've got a banger of a four, I'd feel much more capable with Dean Wade taking on that defensive assignment and then letting Struess and Yang try to hold their own against the three. I like the versatility. I like the idea of being able to go conventionally big with Allen, Mobley, and Wade. That's your gigantic man lineup. I like the idea of being able to get a spacing lineup where you have Mobley slide over to the five and you can roll out two of the three of Struess Yang or Dean Wade or even Karis LeVert, throw him in there. Based irrationally off a three-game sample, I feel like we have a treasure trove of riches. Here's what I propose as of right now, Monday night, October 16th, for the Cavaliers rotation. Allen and Mobley are your starters. Struess, as the three, slides over to the four when Mobley goes to the five spot, and Yang comes in, first look, <coughs> as a small four. Now, first off, excuse me, second, keep it moving. In the event you have an elite wing, that's when I think Dean Wade can have an opportunity, assuming he can keep this shooting up. Because this is the key here. Dean can't go back to being an offensive zero who refuses to take shots. As much as I am sucking him off right now, let's not forget that when we got rid of Kevin Love thinking, Dean's ready to assume the role. Dean was not ready. He looked like shit. This Dean is the Dean we need. His aggression must continue. But if Dean can continue that, then he's the one who I trust on the elite wings in terms of if it's not Mobley guarding your Tatums, guarding your Durants, guarding your truly dynamic, tall, offensive wings, Dean or Karras would be my second choice as this roster is currently constructed. Okoro, to me, while a great defender, should be focusing on guards. I've always felt like he was better in that capacity. We talk about the rebounding issues we had in the past. Well, tonight, 22 rebounds between Okoro, Wade, and Levert. They banged the glass that was the top three rebounders for us in this game. For all that's to be said about Tristan Thompson and Damian Jones, well, they were out-rebounded by our wings. And that's what we need with guys like Mobley and Jared Allen. Those two are fantastic rebounders. But the thing that was missing last season with Lowry Markinen in Utah was a guy to come back and help clean up on the glass when they were focused on keeping the big bodies away from the rim. We need it. And Karis LeVert did that phenomenally in the playoffs, by the way. Despite losing to the Knicks... I thought he made a concerted effort in that series to assist on the glass, and he was very good. But that needs to happen throughout this season. And I know with this commitment to pace, the idea of getting out and running is something where we're going to have to balance those objectives. But it's huge for us not to leave Jared Allen and Evan Mobley on an island against some of these more physical teams with the guards that we happen to throw out there for 35 to 40 minutes a night. Let's just talk about players as assets, something some people don't like doing, and I understand that, especially before the regular season has even kicked off. But let me speak specifically to the Imani Bates fans in this community, of which I'm one, but I mean more so, the ones who want him on the court from day one. A tall order because of the depth of this squad and the fact that he's on a two-way contract. Now, first of all, Imani deserves props. 
Every single game, he's given us double digits, nine three-pointers on 20 attempts, so shooting nearly 50%. And the one thing that he's proven, which was definitely a question mark, is can you plop him in a lineup with other guys who are going to have the ball in his hands, and can he succeed off-ball? And basically, all of his success has come off-ball, either from the three-point line or from quick cuts to the rim. He had a beautiful play right before halftime tonight where he ran up towards the ball. Craig Porter Jr. had it looking like he was calling for it, as if it was a play at Eastern Michigan where he would close out the half and throw up a hero shot. But Porter Jr. waved him off, and rather than get discouraged or just plant his feet and sit there and wait, he back cut to the rim. And Porter Jr. immediately found him easy bucket halftime. Still, though, hear me out. Even if you want Imani with a role immediately, I don't think that you should view Dean Wade's play or any minutes he potentially gets as an obstacle you dislike. I have seen plenty of people praise Dean and then in the comments seen people say, why are people rooting for this guy when we have Imani Bates on the team? Almost like it's a competition between the two. And in some ways, yeah, I get it. Everything's a competition when there's only five guys on the floor at one time. But that's not how you should view it. Nobody should be actively rooting for Dean Wade to slip below Amani Bates in the rotation. In a perfect world, Amani Bates will just continue to earn his way into his opportunities. And when he proves on the NBA stage, not summer league, not preseason, that he's ready for a guaranteed role, well, then that's when you have a conversation about what do we want to do to give him a full runway to develop. If and when we reach that point, Dean needs to be playing as well as possible. And Okoro needs to be playing as well as possible for that matter because Amani's role is likely going to come at the expense of one of those two guys. Now, one of those answers may resolve itself because Okoro, unlike Struess and unlike Yang and unlike even Dean Wade, who's entering the first year of his three-year extension, Okoro's decision comes up far sooner. This year will be very telling in terms of what his long-term role is with the team. Depending on his extension ask and depending on what role he's given this year going into a summer where he has to make decisions about his future, Okoro may find himself the odd man out. We've committed a lot of money to a lot of places. What if Okoro barely plays this year? Do you think he wants to re-sign here? Do you think he wants to take less money for a lesser role, or would he gamble on himself? Now, I'm inclined to believe that JB's focus on defense means that what I perceive Okoro's role to be this season is going to prove to be less than his actual role, because JB loves defense, and Okoro does defense. And again, overreacting wildly to preseason here, but let me just play the hypotheticals, okay? This team could be virtually anywhere at the end of next season. Let's say we get to the second round of the playoffs and we bow out and people say, what the fuck? This isn't fast enough. We've only got one year left to convince Donovan Mitchell to stay. We got to make some kind of consolidation trade. Well, this past summer, we saw what happened when we had only one movable player making big money. That was Jared Allen. And we had no in-between contracts. We had little to no depth. Well, Dean Wade suddenly becomes movable and his contract $6 million a year would be very attractive if he resembles anything close to the Dean Wade we've seen in the last two preseason games. Maybe with a good year from Dean, with a good year from Okoro, knowing that you still have Yang and Bates on the roster, you can make a consolidation trade where 
the offers you get for two productive role players aren't trash. Because let's just acknowledge, Osman was probably our seventh guy last year, I think you would say. I mean, he was below Levert in the rotation, but at least when the playoffs rolled around, we turned to him heavily. And we essentially threw him away just to be able to offer Max Struess a few million more dollars. Now, he would have no role on this roster as it stands anyway, so that's all fine and good. But my point is, I don't want to look at guys just as dollar figures with no actual value because that requires you to bundle picks with those guys. Guys like Okoro and Dean Wade proving that they're solid NBA rotation players suddenly makes their paltry contract size and their restricted free agency rights in the case of Isaac Okoro, a lot more attractive than they were, say, two months ago. Now, just to be perfectly clear, I am not advocating trading the drippy one. I am not advocating trading any of our depth before we get to see this team as constructed, rolled out there. We have gone literal years with an ugly, ugly bench, one you would be ashamed to take home to tell anybody about your parents would be like are you seeing any bench and you'd be like no no just doing my own thing you would change the name of the bench in your phone so that nobody knew you were texting with it but now the bench is very attractive it's like the slightly less attractive friend of the main unit which is our starting lineup you'd like them both to show up at all social functions because they're both pleasant to look at fuck i might even take this bench home just poke holes in the condom try to trap it you know what I'm saying? Maybe I want to keep it around. Don't do that. Okay, I'm kidding. Or am I? Now let's move this thing forward. You, you get where I'm going with that. What I'm saying is Dean and Amani both succeeding is a good problem. So stop worrying about when is Amani going to get his shot in the rotation. If he's not getting it, there's a good reason why he's not getting it. The only thing that's going to stop him from ascending based off what we've seen so far is if other guys are soaring higher and more majestically. And if that's Dean Wade, well then don't be a racist just because it's some Midwest white guy that maybe is a little bit goofy, okay? Get behind the underdog story. Dean didn't get features written on him. Dean wasn't front page of anything, except maybe farmersonly.com. All right, what the fuck do you have against the Midwest? Let's move this thing forward. I've spent 15 minutes tooting Dean over here. We've got other guys to talk about. Karis Levert with a second strong game, sat out the last preseason game, but was the story of the first quarter in preseason game one and was the story again in the first half here for the Cavaliers as he scored 11 of his 13 points in the first half. Finished the game with 13, 6, and 5. A couple of steals. Yeah, maybe a little bit sloppy with the ball in the beginning, but the pace, the aggression, finding other guys, he is going to be such a critical component of this roster. And Ty Jerome has solidified himself, in my view, as the backup point guard. Now, that is not an outlandish statement because Ricky Rubio isn't even with the team, but he looks comfortable on ball, off ball, navigating into the lane tonight, absorbing contact, pump fakes, hitting a fuck you three-pointer from over 30 feet away. It was an impressive stat line from him, too, as well as just being an all-around capable point guard. I think between he and Levert, the backup guard is in good hands. Either one of those two, I'm comfortable with them initiating offense. And then you have Isaac to bounce between the two and the three if you have particular defensive assignments where you're worried that Ty Jerome would be a liability and you want to throw a Coro out there. I will be very curious to see what the minute divide will be in the regular season rotation between Isaac Okoro and Ty Jerome specifically. Now, Okoro logged plenty of minutes 
as a small forward last year, but we're much deeper. And based on this preseason play, you got Struess, Yang, Wade, and Levert, all bigger bodies. Will we see much of Coro at the three this year? This is a problem we haven't had in some time. How do you find ways to get all of these productive guys on the floor? Now, Damian Jones, earlier you might think I was down on him based on what I said about Dean Wade. It's not really as drastic as that. It's not a matter of me thinking Damian Jones has been bad. I didn't think he was good last game, certainly. A big fat goose egg. But tonight, you can easily say that tonight was his best preseason game. Finished with 11 points, two offensive rebounds, and here's the impressive stat. Seven for seven from the stripe. Quite the improvement from the 0 for 4 from the stripe he was before tonight in preseason action. I love games like tonight because we know what we have in the starters, but to see 20 minutes of run for Craig Porter Jr., Amani Bates, Ty Jerome, Dean Wade, Isaac Okoro, we got long looks at all of them, and the results were fantastic. Collectively, that quartet of Craig Porter Jr., Amani Bates, Dean Wade, Isaac Okoro, and Ty Jerome. Do you know what they shot from the floor? 62%, 23 of 37 for them collectively. And 10 three-pointers. Now, there was one moment during the game where they had to stop the game because the ball bounced off the court and somehow it got pudding on it. Now, that's not a euphemism. I mean actual pudding, like jello pudding, presumably. Chocolate pudding, I'm guessing. Maybe vanilla. Maybe tapioca. Who's to say? I hope it's chocolate. Regardless, they replaced the basketball. They didn't even try to clean it up. They just said, let's get a new ball. And I support that 100%. That is the right call. In fact, it's a policy I would write on the ticket. If you bring pudding to the game and it gets on the basketball, the ball will be replaced and so will you. Pudding falls into a category of food, which I find appalling to have at a sporting event. The double dip food. Any food where there's a vessel that transports the food into your mouth and then goes back into the food should be banned. You're taking a spoon, you're putting it in your gross, hot, sweaty, screaming at basketball player's mouth, and then you're putting it back in the pudding. And then the basketball touches that, the players touch the basketball. Next thing you know, everyone has pink eye and gonorrhea, and you're the problem. Pudding is a dessert for the commoner, okay? Courtside seats should not have access to pudding. They should be able to eat babies and whatever other things that rich people eat, okay? Pudding is for trash people. Okay? Dean Wade's family. They eat pudding. Were they courtside? Was it Dean Wade's family who did this? I would like to propose a movement to ban pudding. It should never be in attendance courtside at a Cavaliers game. Unless, of course, it happens to be... The Sixers are in town. Joel Embiid is out there. I would like rocks, bricks, and pudding in all the courtside seats, preferably. But outside of that one very specific scenario, no more pudding. I did not think I'd do 20 minutes on a made-up basketball team. Maccabi Ranan. And how ironic is it that Bacon plays for an Israeli team? No? Too soon to, to make jokes about the Jewish faith? Well, I did it anyway. But I put it at the end of the podcast, and let's be honest, most of you punched out by now. A couple programming announcements. I redid the webpage. It was fropod.com. Now, if you go to fropod.com, you'll be redirected to cavspod.com. Why did I change it? Well, one, I'm hedging against you fucking monsters who tried to trade Jared Allen getting your way someday in the future. I don't want to be left with my dick in my hands if and when he's ever moved 
or he ever leaves the squad. So this is a, a little bit of it is future planning on my part. But the second is just SEO manipulation. I don't know why I thought it was a good idea to make one of the three main words of my podcast title, one that begins with an apostrophe, fro. The conclusion I came to this offseason was simple is better, you big dum-dum. I'm trying to grow this thing, and the best way to grow this thing is when you guys share it, when you rate it, when you review it, when you tell other people. And if you don't tell other people, then I got to tell other people. And the only way that I know how to do that since I talk to nobody in my basement, is to try to get it out there so that when people search for it on the internet, they find it. Because I want to make this thing as big and robust and wonderful as possible so that respectable people will return my emails when I beg them to come onto the podcast so that I'm not talking to myself like a fucking lunatic all the time, okay? But in the meantime, come back next time. We got one more preseason game, and then it's the Brooklyn Nets, the season opener. All of our off-season work. We'll get to see how it plays out. I will join you next time. I'm Bob Schmidt. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.